have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. The great and powerful Oz knows why you have come. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. You have meddled with the tribal forces of nature. Don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives. Tell you what to do, what to think, or what to feel. Who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men. Machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. Jason Burmes. And who loves you? And who do you love? I know I love you guys. Good morning. It is Reality Rants with Jason Burmes, brought to you by RedVoiceMedia.com. Remember the second hour, completely uncensored. It's how you support the broadcast. RedVoiceMedia.com slash Jason slash uncensored, or just listen to it over on Podbean. This is going to be a jam-packed show and the question is in my mind right now with everything we have going on we're going to show you some of the underplayed financial stories right out of the gates because it's important probably the most important part of the whole shebango okay Uh, uh, of the whole sauce because when you saw what they did via the covid 1984 nightmare all right i said that this was a slow rollout And this was basically 1929 meets 9-11 hysteria. All right. And they're going to bring you along the way as much as they can. Is this the final financial blow? Let's start here. Assets of U.S. banks are worth a massive $2 trillion less than their accounts report. And 200 banks could be at risk if customers rush to withdraw, leading academics warn. Now. Whether you believe this is fear-mongering or not, I've got a clip with Thomas Massey that we're going to go to shortly uh, via the Jesse Waters program, where he just basically explains the same thing he was explaining to Raskin, right? We've diluted the monetary system again and again and again, and the Federal Reserve absolutely, positively has a huge role in this, a huge role in this, you know, cutting to 0% sounds great, right? When, when you're talking about uh, rates until you have these venture capitalists that just invest in anything. Cause hey, it's not costing me anything to invest. That's part of the issue. But the big part to me is that you want a consolidation of resources. And there were many mechanisms in play pre COVID-1984 
that were going to play into an economic collapse for over a decade. Again, we went back in time yesterday. I had been talking about the fact that you had less and less accountability via the global banking system. Forget about just the United States. And when you had the International Monetary Fund, which is basically an arm of the Central Intelligence Agency. Okay, this is what I talk about with this broader network. Okay, people need to read John Perkins' Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Because you would go into these third world countries and use mafioso tactics on behalf of U.S. interests, which were IMF interests, okay, and take control of the resources while enslaving and impoverishing the people. Very lovely. Awesome. And basically, we, we get a new gloss of paint of the same agenda because they go in there and say how benevolent they are. Boy, it's going to bring jobs for everybody. It's going to be big time, big time globalism, you know? And then they'll blame something on a terrorist group or, I mean, playbook. But the IMF itself, over a decade ago, um, started doing what? Began the digital currency revolution. And I'm sorry, all you guys out there that want to fantasize about Satoshi Yakamoto with, with his, uh, or Nakamoto with his magic money, Bitcoin, that's a defense department project to get you ready, to acclimate you, to socially engineer you when the time comes for them to bring in their track trace database, not just over the skin, but under the skin, biotech currency, social credit score, carbon credit score, the whole shabiz ango, you've been acclimated somewhat. It's not just shock and awe, you know, that term they, they like to use even prior to Iraq. You get it? So uh, I'm sorry, I don't believe in fairy tales and unicorns, and I don't believe in Santa Claus, and I don't believe in the magic Bitcoin man, all right? Because, again, at the same time, that starts to, to come into play and have momentum. You have SDR, special drawing rights for the IMF. Zeros and ones, baby. And now, how many times have we played that uh, World Economic Forum piece where they sit there and talk about what? Blockchain humans. Blockchain humans at refugee camps. Please, governor, may I have some more? Oh, you get your food there. They're going to find you jobs. You can sleep in a tent. I mean, I mean when the world's so unstable, what we want is the World Economic Forum and their cronies coming in with the United Nations the World Health Organization, and taking over. Meanwhile, you have to layer that, as I just talked about, not just track, trace, database, but what was done in Iraq and Afghanistan. We have to grow up. The biometric harvest that happened there and the drone warfare that happened there, still happening on both levels, by the way, was the beta test to go global. You know, that's why you look at the title here. Yeah, we're, we're talking about bank runs, but we're going to be talking about www.worldwar3 in a second. And that Reaper drone, it's bad news brown. We're in bad news brown territory. We, we actually may already be in kind of a hot World War III scenario. And I hate using that term because, again, you, you could argue the war of terror 
and the decimation, you know, is World War Three. But traditionally, you don't have one side just stomp out the other in a global conflict. There, there are heavy casualties on both ends, and that's not to demean the casualties and losses um, and injuries we've had in that war at all. I'm just saying when you look at the scale of a World War II, even a Vietnam, right? They don't compare to a Gulf War, um, to a post 9-11 war in any way, shape or form at all. This one, a U.S. soldier's really dying? It's there. It, it could happen. So we're going to get into that. I want to read some of this article because they're getting you ready. They are getting you ready. And, and look, Massey talks about how he's not taking his money out of the bank. Okay, I, I, I get that. I'm not either. I'm not going squirrel nuts yet, but it's not like I have a massive amount of money in the bank, guys. I don't know about you. It's not like I have a massive amount of assets. Certainly don't have that anywhere near that $250,000 marker that's supposed to be insured. And, and like Massey warns, it's what's, what is the currency actually going to be worth? Will we see even more inflation that supposedly was transitory or didn't exist? Again, it was supposed to be imagination land like St. Nick or Satoshi Nakamoto. <laughs> Assets held by American banks are worth a staggering $2 trillion less. And, and that's what they're saying now. I bet you you do an audit that doubles. That's speculation, guys. But mark my words, they start doing audits that $2 trillion might not even, that might just be like, okay. Like they might, for instance, one of the ways you would doctor the books is in your physical assets like real estate saying something was worth much more than it actually is market value at this point. And with the markets crumbling, in most cases, you're going to see diminishing returns. All right. So in the accounts, because of unrealized losses, like those triggered uh, the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank, a study suggests, and they run the banks would leave customers at nearly 200 institutions facing losses of up to 300 billion. I think that's I think that's my new, okay? And the question is, as this as this goes down, I see America looking at it like this. The big boys haven't taken the brunt yet. Haven't seen a Bank of America fail or a JP Morgan Chase fail. That would be the trigger point of a, a lot of panic. And look, let's be honest. The vast majority majority of us that are still around have never lived through a true economic crisis like that one in this country at all. Don't know what it looks like, okay? We, we really don't know what it looks like. We don't know how quick everybody's going to turn on one another. But I can tell you right now, the solution, no matter how bad the problem becomes, is going to be way worse, way worse. And I kind of want to go down the line. And talk about some of the other aspects of this before we get to the Massey clip. And then we'll play uh, Massey on Waters. Massey on Waters. Silicon Valley bank failure deals a blow to Europe's startups. Because again, you have a 0% interest rate. You have people getting into all sorts of risky things overseas and otherwise. So I also see what uh, I saw Kim Iverson talking about. Especially... Um, 
when you're looking at tech companies, as this unfolds, the smaller tech companies that can no longer financially survive and may have pushed away offers hoping that one day um, they can be uh, valued on the stock exchange and that's when they sell, might have to sell for pennies on the dollar. And, and then what, what will happen is most of their staff will be eviscerated and their te technology in most cases, maybe a couple of their uh, programmers will be absorbed. You're gonna have massive layoffs. And we've been talking about massive layoffs in the tech industry, especially when we're talking about Facebook and Meta. Guess what? They ain't stopping. They be trucking. 10,000 more employees, and it's not gonna stop in this economic reality, according to Zuckerberg. Let me explain to people what's happening here. All right? All you people out there that in the last... 10, 15, even 20 years in my generation, a little bit further back, that got things like communication degrees and you worked for PR or pushing best practices and that type of thing in the tech industry, you're not going to be necessary much longer. That's one. You're, you're kind of garbage. They're consolidating you you're, you're do-nothings. You're being automated out. In other words, a lot of these campaigns, whether it be social media promos or billboard promos, can be actually handled by not only less people, but AI and less people, automated tools. All right. And by the way, NASA big on this um, months ago, who knows how long ago because time flies. Uh, I did a video on this, on how People were actually, and they were bragging about it. It was the, the craziest thing. First of all, that this goes well beyond NASA, but NASA's in charge of it for some reason. And that they would have, what? These people had no choice but to basically train their replacements. They would be fired and cut in half. So now, yeah, I'm going to tell you right now, the vast majority of you, they got, and hate me if you want. There are some people that <clears throat> do calm and they also learn something like engineering, audio or video engineering, that's different. Especially if you get in on the production side, you're learning a trade. If it's just talking, bye. Just emailing, bye. Just social media posting, bye. And then you're going to get to actually what I think um, is something at least that was difficult for me. And I never pursued it beyond a point because it was frustrating and I wasn't good at it but programming, computer programmers. Well, now if you're really not top tier, first of all, the top tier people, uh, they're gonna be able to oversee more of the automated and AI tools. So those people will be less and less necessary. They'll be able to cut some of those people. That's where we're at. Think about it. And the technology at this point, you have to understand they can't scale up from the consumer level that we're at now until more social engineering is done anyway. And they don't necessarily want to scale up. I'm going to show, believe me, I've got some uh, fourth industrial revolution stuff today. We're talking about, for instance, uh, we talk about 3D printed organs. Martin Rothblatt uh, just sold some United Therapeutics. Now that stock is up while a lot of them are down. And MIT now has a heart that they will print for the individual. So individual specific printed hearts. Now, I'm not saying that that's some, something that's ready to be scaled up. I'm talking about this being technology now 
that's being rolled out. And by the way, Martin, we're going to show some of the articles today. Very adamant on having the whole print factory of organs. Yeah, just, it's an old print factory of organs. And I'm sure that's going to be for the vast majority of us. Because billionaires love regular people. Billionaires love regular people. By the way, 240 watching over on the YouTube. Can we get 100 thumbs up? By the way, if you're watching over on Rumble, you can also like this, share the links. I want to thank all the rock finners out there as well. Twitter's about to delete like my entire video archive. So I'm glad that I've never done something specific with Periscope or, or Twitter, but I just got that notice. Uh, I guess I'll still be able to stream live, but that that's something that's alarming to me that they don't want to archive those things. I mean, the fact of the matter is that memory gets cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and storage itself gets smaller and smaller and smaller. To, to me, it's almost criminal not to archive and don't think that they don't have a hard backup. When I say they, I mean the intelligence apparatus, not just the company. The company probably has a hard backup too, no matter what, on some kind of server of every moment, every Twitter moment, every keystroke for God's sake. All right, I got one more in the economy right here. And then we're going to play the Massey clip and uh, move on to some other stories. This is Tim Schwab, and Tim Schwab does some really good stuff on Bill Gates. We're going to show Bill Gates and his electric rickshaw. It's just incredible. I I love Bill Gates so much, and, and the videos that he continues to put out and the things that he says makes me love him even more. A lot of love for that guy. So Schwab's done some legitimate uh, journalism on Bill Gates, and he, and he made this point, and I think it's a really interesting point. Uh, I'm going to read the bottom one first. This is interesting. Forbes and Bloomberg have competing uh, lists of the richest people in the world. Forbes ranks Michael Bloomberg as number seven with $95 billion. Can you imagine? I, I, again, I love Bloomberg so much. There, See, there's a billionaire that's got all our best interests at heart. He shows it, huh? <laughs> Bloomberg Media doesn't include Michael Bloomberg in the top 500. <clears throat> Uh, can Bloomberg business, you know, can they, they explain? And he says, by omitting the world's seventh richest person from its supposedly journalistic list, the world's richest people, Bloomberg misinforming the public. It's uh, creating an alternate reality in which Michael Bloomberg's $95 billion doesn't exist. Is it not misinformation, pure and simple? It's the manipulation of reality. We've, we, we're in the post-truth world, Tim constantly highlight that here because that's a reality. We live in a post-truth world where the powers that be are the authoritative sources and are allowed to push their great narrative no matter how absurd. And we're seeing those absurdities every single day on a mass scale. It's embarrassing, quite frankly, how absurd things have gotten. And I know a lot of you feel the same way that I do on that matter. That's why you watch. Because we also show things in the backdrop that show you what the true agenda of the absurdity is. So I want to uh, go to this Waters clip from the other day with uh, Tom Massey. And Massey, again, he, he, he kills it all over the place. He, he's the dude, for sure. Like uh, Tom Massey, I'd love to get him on the show. Imagine doing an hour or two with Tom Massey. That would be fun times and nursery rhymes, kid. I'll tell you right now. By the way, um, before we go to the clip here, there you go, Jesse Waters. 
some people were in the comments saying I said I wanted Assange prosecuted or I said the persecution of Julian Assange or made it sound like I, I'm anti-Assange. No, I, I was talking about how Trump's administration, okay, did persecute and continue to prosecute Assange. And that has to end, all right? And he should have to explain himself for that. And we've done many videos on it. We've talked about the Rohrabacher meeting and how he wanted Julian to basically turn state's witness and give up his sources and Julian refused. That We don't need to be strong arming journalists and that's a great failure of the Trump administration. So my point was to put him on the spot that his administration, not just you know the zombie J administration, not just the Obama administration, okay? We, we have to hold everybody accountable. So here is Massey with Waters. Comfortable right now, are you? Let's bring in Kentucky Congressman Thomas Massey. All right, Congressman, what's really going on here? <laughs> well, let's don't downplay the Federal Reserve's role in this. They started out as Santa Claus by bringing us almost zero interest rates, which pushed people out of safe investments and into things like venture capital. And then they became the arsonists during COVID because when Congress wanted to spend all that money and nobody would loan it to us, the Fed just created $5 trillion out of thin air, and that's what caused inflation. But don't worry, they came in as the firefighters to put the fire out by dousing it with high interest rates. And now they're like the triage doctor trying to uh, stabilize the patients, which are the banks. You know, by, and and the, you know, to your point in your monologue about Biden saying, oh, well, this won't cost the taxpayers anything, I'll rate that as... Mostly not true if things get worse, because what they're doing is they insured everybody under $250,000, all the depositors, and, and premiums were paid into that account. But what Biden is going to do right now at the FDIC, they're going to take all of that money they've saved up to protect the $250,000 depositors and spend it on the $10 million depositors. They're basically going all in on the first two or three banks, and they're saying, trust us. This is better than just making the small guys whole. And, so, and again, super dangerous. Why, why are we holding water for multimillionaires and billionaires? Why are we holding water for bankers and their talking points? Period. And again, Massey, Massey explained it perfectly there. And I, and I think that we're already, we're, we're feeling that slow burn. They want a controlled implosion. They, they want controlled panic managed panic they don't want too much panic because if there's too much panic it gets out of control and they don't want that level of chaos congressman are people's deposits safe in the united states of america is there going to be a bank run should we be nervous i'm not taking my money out of the bank and i don't think other people should either what will happen is there's a Fed backstop to all of this. Again, like, you know, the Fed's played all of these roles. The, the, um, the other program that they've announced is that the Fed will loan money to banks who are in trouble. The banks who bought treasury notes that, and bonds that have gone to 80% of their value, the Fed says, we'll give you a credit for the 20% that's worthless. We'll, get, we'll credit that for a loan. So you can use the worthless part of the bond as collateral for a loan from the Fed. There will be plenty of money. The problem is I think yeah. they're going to print I don't it even understand the word you just said, but I do hear something that was said on a call. I mean, you notice how at the very end he just said they're going to print it. 
Uh, and and Jesse, I'm not proud of the fact that you didn't just. I'll explain it, Jesse, and we'll come back to Massey to finish it up. When you invest in the government, the bond is supposed to be secured, and you're going to get so much back later on. But all of a sudden, the values of those bonds went down because our government ain't too great right now, Jesse, involved in a whole lot of war that you've been hawking, all right? Shutting down actual energy and, and imploding the economy on purpose. So that brings it down 20%. Now, the Federal Reserve that helped do all that says, you know what, we're going to loan you that money. So in other words, you can loan, you, you can say you have that value, even though you have imagination land in value. I mean, it's kind of imagination land anyway, but let's, let's double the imagination land and then let's print more money on top of it for you to loan out. That that's what Massey's saying. He's saying, I think they're going to print it. With you today, someone said you're not even allowed to talk about bank rums. Is that true? Yeah, there was a senator, uh, I believe it was Mark Kelly, who asked if we had a good program to censor this stuff at social media, to censor information so there wouldn't be a run on the banks. The problem is he didn't say he wanted to censor false information or foreign information. He kind of left it open-ended. And um, I mean, that's chilling to me. That's their go-to now for the Democrats. Let's censor our way to a solution. Yeah, censor and print, that's basically the deal. That's scary. And everybody should realize how scary that is. Okay. So I want to uh, go to the Russia conflict now. And I'm, I'm going to point this out before we get there. Syrian President Assad arrives in Moscow, set to meet Putin. Once again, this is a great failure of the Trump administration because Trump just like WikiLeaks, man. Remember this? Love the WikiLeaks. Can't get enough of the WikiLeaks. Have you seen the WikiLeaks? Rode that WikiLeaks train and abandoned Assange. Abandoned him. And in the case of Syria, Trump starts going on a roadshow. And he's saying, it's time to get out of Syria. And everybody with a brain, you know, the vast majority of the citizenry in uh, this country, because, hey, most of us want peace and we're anti-war and we understand after a certain length of time, no matter how dull and brainwashed we've become and docile, that we've been duped. It's time to, what are we really getting out of it? Let's get out. Okay. Trump says that. And then the magical attack in Duma happens. Oh, the old magic man happens. Right. And Mattis can't even tell you in front of, uh, I believe it was the Senate, whether or not an attack happened, let alone a chemical attack. And the Trump administration ran with the fact when the media started exposing it through WikiLeaks and the OPCW leaks. All right. That nothing had happened there. And it was all propaganda. People like uh, Pearson uh, Sharp. Right. Or not, is it Pearson Man, it's, I might be getting that name wrong. It's killing me. But the OAN guy went there. He went. He was there. All the mainstream media acted like they couldn't get into that zone. Pearson got in there. And he, he did real journalism. And he showed, boy, this doesn't look right. Did Trump point to that report? 
No, no, no. He bent the knee. He bent the knee and we're still there. All right. We're still there. And there's a couple clips after we talk about what's going on with Russia because he's there and we're, we're in the middle of a, a big deal here with this Reaper drone. Basically, the United States is saying, hey, you know, Russia attacked our drone. Russia saying it was in the wrong airspace and that they just dumped fuel on the drone. I mean, I'm going to read I'm going to I'm going to read the article, but it's almost minutia because we have no business being in Syria, just like we have no business arming the Ukrainians and getting involved in this conflict on on not even a proxy scale at this point. Let's be honest. It's well beyond proxy scales. You can call it a proxy war all we want, but it doesn't feel that way. So first things first, I'm going to play a, a clip of Chip Roy. And Chip Roy, the first thing you have to ask yourself is, did we even vote on this at all? How are we in this military conflict if Congress, whether we're supposed to be there or not, never actually voted on it? Why are we hiding behind post 9-11 legislation via the Emergency uh, Authorization Act or the National, what, what is it? I'm sorry, it's not the Emergency Authorization Act. It's the National, uh, I'm dying here. Burma's Brigade, tell me, tell me what this is. It's, it's, They've, they've renewed it every year. National Defense National Defense Authorization Act. That's what it, where it is. Okay, so hiding behind legislation from 2001. Just Roy is, is 100% common sense here. And most people in this country don't even realize that, we, we mentioned it briefly on the show, that you had Matt Gates put out there, there's no reason for us to be here. Let, let's get out of Syria. And it lost, I think, three to one. About, I think 100 plus were saying, yeah, Matt, you're, you're right. And then 300 plus are like, we got to fight them there. So we don't have to fight them here. Because we're going to fight a lot of Syrians here and ISIS here. Just like we're going to fight Russians here. I mean, only if things go to a disaster. You'll see Syrians and Russians here if it really goes wild, folks. And whose fault will it be? Jason Burma, so many pro-Putin talking points, jumping on on the lapdog of Putin, Chip Roy. And by the way, we're going to play Matt Gates, and and some of the things I agree with, some of them I don't, but we're definitely going to get to those clips as well. But let's let's start with Chip Roy right now. And from Texas, Mr. Roy. Thank the speaker. I thank the gentleman from Kentucky. Uh, I thank our colleagues on the other side of the aisle for working uh, with us on that unanimous consent, which I think is important. Uh, it is important for us to have a full debate and a full airing of the use of war powers in the United States. As James Madison pointed out, it was critically important that we put that power in Congress. We should have this debate. If we're going to have troops in Syria, this body, this House of Representatives, this Congress ought to speak to it. And we shouldn't hide behind a 2001 authorization of the use of military force and not update that authorization of the use of military force. I'm not here to say whether we should or should not be in Syria. I am here to say that Congress should speak to it. We should debate it. We should decide. We should have an actual conversation in this body, on this floor, 
when we're going to place our men and women in uniform in harm's way. Can you, I mean, can you disagree with anything he said there? Talk about apolitical, just pointing out the fact that in the constitutional republic that was set up, all right, not eviscerated by things like continuity of government and born classified and the NSA and the CIA and the FBI, you know, back in the good old days, Congress was like, you know what? Maybe we don't want to go die somewhere, kill a bunch of people. Seems a little wild. Can we talk it out? Let's talk it out here first. And then if we can't talk it out here and we feel like there is no talking it out, we'll go fight, but let's vote on it. Wow. <laughs> Weird and wild stuff. That is the point that we should be considering. I very much believe that the gentleman from Florida has brought something forward using privileged uh, uh, tools that we have here in the, in the body and that we should uh, take that under consideration. We should support the resolution the gentleman has brought forward. And if we have concerns, we should then have a debate, a full-throated debate about the use of military force and our uh, men and women in uniform in Syria. I yield back. Pretty simple. So let's go to Gates. And, and I'm going to stop him periodically and talk about where I think there are some misnomers here. For instance, you know, the idea that some of these people could be on one side of the ledger one day and then another side of the ledger another day. That's basically because they run a mercenary system and you can flip different assets and people stab you in the back. But at the end of the day, it's our military industrial complex engine that are driving these conflicts. Much of the discussion today has revolved around whether or not withdrawing from Syria will ignite some new ISIS caliphate. We've pointed out time and again, Inspector General's reports saying that that is unlikely. But I'm not entirely sure that us having troops in Syria deters ISIS more than it is a recruiting tool for ISIS. Moreover, President Trump said that if Russia wanted to kill ISIS, we should let them. And I think there is wisdom in that. Both Assad and Turkey are in stronger positions today to put downward pressure on ISIS. And maybe if we weren't giving weapons to people shooting at Assad, Assad would have every incentive to be able to engage ISIS. Yeah. But again, another big failure of the Trump administration is that you had what? The drone bombing of a, in Iran, esteemed military leader that took on ISIS. All right. And if you look at what created ISIS, sure looks like a U.S. intelligence program, waka waka, in a, in a, in a way to ensure that it doesn't uh, come back. And we have to also acknowledge Syria and Iraq are the two countries on the planet Earth where we have done the most to fund ISIS. We give weapons to these so-called moderate rebels, which I actually thought was an oxymoron. And it turns out they're not that moderate. Sometimes the rebels we fund to go fight Assad turn around and raise the ISIS flag. And so it's quite silly to be saying we have to withdraw to stop ISIS when it is our very presence in Syria, in some cases, that has been the best gift to ISIS. And look, when Matt Gates, just like any other politician, when someone gets up, I, I might tomorrow pay, play Ilhan Omar talking about getting out of Syria. When people step up to the plate 
We go, good job. You have my support. That's what we have to do more of. And we have to shine light on stuff like this because are you seeing this in the mainstream media? Hell no. How much of this are you actually seeing in the alternative media? Not much, McCluskey. Not much at all. There are groups like Al-Nusra and associated entities that are like our frenemies when they're in Syria, and then they cross over the border into Iraq and they become full-fledged jihadists posing a so-called threat to the homeland. There are 1,500 different groups in Syria. So today's friend is tomorrow's ISIS. And there's no real clear delineation as to what the enduring defeat of ISIS means. Like, do we have to keep 900 Americans in Syria until the last heartbeat stops of the last person who holds some sympathy for ISIS? I would certainly hope not. It would mean we would have to be there forever. Israel has made their, their deal with Russia to be protected. The Kurds have made their peace with Assad to be protected. And what we see among this quagmire is there's really not a role for the United States of America in Syria. We are not a Middle Eastern power. We have tried this time and again to build a democracy out of sand and blood and Arab militias. And time and again, the work we do does not reduce chaos. Oftentimes it causes chaos. So once again, I mean, Gates on fire here. Love them, hate them, on fire. And look, I'm as surprised as anybody. You go back to that young Buck Burmis back in the day. You notice I'm talking about Democratic leaders because they were the only ones that were speaking out. And it certainly wasn't Joey B, who, again, I was calling Joey B back in 15 years ago and covering Biden. Weird. All right. Again, because players in the game. But real people like Dennis Kucinich or Mike Gravel, who I had mentioned, uh, they're the deal. They're real. And look, Gates wears a lot of makeup on TV. <laughs> I think that's all. Don't don't get me wrong. Sometimes I got to powder up a little bit. I'm I'm a greasy guy, but something you guys see me at my worst. I'm coming on the air no matter what. Okay, he's he's dead on right here. He's up there. It's it's the Republican guy, and I I hope that Matt Gates obviously would continue to do this if a Republican president gets in next. But that Republican president can't be going after Julian Assange. When he says it's time to get out of Syria, we got to get out of Syria. Has to give us a real plan to just say, see you in the Middle East. And then on top of that plan, I would say that we have to get these privatized mercenary groups under control because they really do pose a, a major threat to our constitutional republic and the stability of a peaceful world order if put into the wrong hands i mean that's that's basic the very chaos that then subsequently leads to terrorism my colleagues my staff who've served in syria my constituents tell me that often these anti-isis raids are just raids of local thugs and drug dealers who have some cousin that's in isis and it is not appropriate to put americans at risk Often our Americans are guarding these oil fields where the Iranians are sending kamikaze drones. And I am shocked that we have not had escalatory accident or even more casualties uh, for our U.S. service members. And so if this is all one big 
Georgetown School of Foreign Service essay exam about great power competition in Syria. You go tell that to the parents of the Americans who have to sleep tonight in Syria, who have to guard oil fields with Iranian drones coming at them, that they are necessary to preserve the balance of power. That is not true. The Kurds. Uh, I mean, I love everything he's saying right here. Good job, Matt Gates. Hell of a hairline, buddy. Have an opportunity to pave their path. Let's pave ours. And if we're so worried about threats to the homeland, how about we actually focus on our true point of vulnerability, which is not, which is not the emergence of some caliphate. It's the fact that terrorists are crossing our southern border on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. We seem far less concerned about that, and we undeniably should be. So let me say this at, at the tail end of his speech right there. I don't talk about the border issue too much because I totally and completely understand why the vast majority of people from second and third world nations, many of them not Mexicans at this point, South Americans, want to come to the United States if the doors are open. I think that the term terrorist is thrown around broadly. I do not like it because once you call somebody a terrorist, they basically have no due process and you have it. It, it, you then give the ability for the state apparatus or the authoritative apparatus to paint a narrative which then has no chance of being countered, whether or not that narrative is true or not. And that's why we have due process in this country. And that's why you're allowed to face your accuser, because people are dishonest. And things are complicated. So I always back off on that terrorist thing. I always back off on the border issue because, look, the border issue is such where you think that by putting up a wall, all of a sudden the drugs aren't going to be smuggled in through the cartels. You don't think the cartels are still working with our intelligence agencies. You think, we got them in Iran Contra. That was it. What? The CIA stopped dealing, um, you know, the heroin and the cocaine, even though it's just weird. That post 9-11, after the Taliban had uh, done this crazy kooky thing, that this crazy kooky Taliban thing, where they said, you know, we don't like the opium fields, and we're going to stop that, and we're not going to have those. And 94% reduction, something crazy. And all of a sudden, 9-11 happens, the United States comes in. And now the warlords that have taken over say, good thing we can make these poppy fields very profitable and good thing the United States is going to guard them for us. But I'm sure there's no backdoor cut there, right? I mean, we're doing that in the goodness of our heart because after we liberated Afghanistan, they wanted opium again. So it's just like what the fentanyl trade, all of it. If you don't if you don't think at some point there's a driving force of US intelligence behind that on the profiteering angle you're lost. Uh, I mean, that's the big problem. That's what needs to be fed out. Okay. I want to go down the line on some of these stories here. Uh second hour starting in only 18 minutes we fly by here on Reality Rants. Remember redvoicemedia.com/jason.redvoicemedia.com/uncensored it is Wednesday, so uh, Chad Canton comes up after this, and after that, I think I think it's one after another. You also get Matt Couch, who has started this week. Uh, he'll have his third show 
And uh, it looks like he's backing off the mic a little bit because it was a little hot. I tried watching that first show. A little hot on that mic, my friend. And by the way, Burmese Brigade, I love it when you uh, let me know how we sound over here, especially when we are a little too hot or a little too low trying to fix things. Been waiting on the new system. Emailed them yesterday. There was some kind of a clerical error. And now I should have my new system by this Thursday or Friday. Um, very, very pumped to uh, give that a go. I don't know how much different it's going to actually look, but like I said, I think it's also going to give us an opportunity to have guests in studio and have that type of a conversation as well. So that also excites me. All right, here's a, here's a story where it's a distraction story, but this is the kind of thing that's absurd on its face, but I feel like every once in a generation, one of these lawsuits, at least now, comes out. Buffalo Wild Wings admits its boneless wings are not wings in response to frivolous $9 million lawsuit from customer that judge dismissed. Thank God the judge dismissed this one. Because what this reminded me of, okay, is when you had, and I like my coffee in the morning, somebody spill hot coffee on themselves from McDonald's, burn themselves, but drinking it, and it wasn't labeled. They won that lawsuit. So many people were like, well, that's a damn frivolous lawsuit. Well, obviously, there's no such thing as a boneless wing. Every time I read this, it makes me hungry for wingies, by the way. Tommy want wingy. I might want some wings today, man. Oh, that would be fantastic. In fact, I'm going to, you know what? I'm texting the boys after this. Maybe we get some lunchtime wings. And no, I don't want boneless. And no, I don't want breaded. Ew. Ew. Get it. Get that the, the mother tuck out of here. We don't want that. And I, I do want a little heat. We're going probably, you know, Frank's Red Hot red uh, red hot Sauce or better. Delicious. That's, that's what we're talking about. So uh, here's the tweet. Again, we try to have some smiles and sunshine. It's a good thing that this thing got thrown out there as a distraction. Yes, but we're putting it out there. It's true. Our boneless wings are all white meat chicken. Our hamburgers contain no ham. And our buffalo wings are 0% buffalo. Yucca, yucca, yucca. Okay. Can you recognize these famous faces? If not, you may have COVID to thank. So now they're saying that long-term COVID has um, caused prosopogeniza, also known as face blindness. I'm, it just, we, I feel like cartoon world here. I feel like cartoon Dartmouth University. Okay. <laughs> Separately, Harvard U University has a simple test that you can follow yourself. I mean, <laughs> the Ivy League has spoken. I, we're in a cartoon. Google unveils AI powered magic wand for workspace. Systems will create emails, blogs, and presentations for you. This will circle back to what we were discussing before. Okay, well, and, and what were we discussing before? We were discussing the fact that what? People are being automated out. You're being automated out of your cushy tech job where you didn't do much at Facebook, at Instagram. It's going to happen to you at Google. Now's the time to become independent. Okay, that's the truth. So take a look. Here it is. 
AI power tools to Gmail and the workspace. A lot of people about to lose their jobs. <laughs> the announcement is the tech giant's new generation AI system rolling out to Google Workspace, adding new capabilities to Docs, Sheets, Slides, and Gmail. The unveiling comes one day before its rival, Microsoft, is uh, set to make a similar announcement. AI ain't coming. It's here. We're getting leaned into it. Automation coming next. Listen up, because it's real. All right, let's get to this next story. Um, this is a Monsters Among Us story, and this is one of those stories where you have to keep an eye on your child. It's not just the stuff that you see all over the alternative media via drag queen story time, etc., Predators online exist and continue to prey on kids, and they're not going to stop. Cops rescue kidnapped 13-year-old girl from a locked shed in North Carolina after she was groomed, what, via social media? Please keep an eye on your children by this guy, this 34-year-old. This, <coughs> oh. um, I believe it was the gray one here. Uh, yeah, I, I, horrific, horrific. And you look at how far, 966 miles. Thank God that girl was alive. Thank God. Like I said, monsters walk among us. So, want to do this story quick here. MIT researchers 3D uh, print patient-specific patient robotic heart. All right? And probably in the second hour... We're going to get to the entrepreneur dreaming of a factory of unlimited organs. Martin Rothblatt. This is a paid article, but you know what? Let's, man, that kills me. View page source. Watch this. We'll do the inspect. Show some people some tricks of the trade so you can see the headline here. Um, Let's see. So we're going to go. No, that's not the frame I want. No. Come on. See, I did this last night. I forgot I reset. There we go. There it is. Okay, so let's delete that. Bum, 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 bum. There it is. So far, Forbes Healthcare Summit's top 10 leaders of the decade, of the decade, Martin Rothblatt and the Organ Factory. A factory of unlimited organs. Oh, yeah. So we're going to be talking about that and... Uh, the new Vanguard Transgender Entrepreneurship. When we get into that second hour, remember you can listen uh, for free over at the Info Warrior channel on Podbean. And every day, one of the premiums goes completely free over at redvoicemedia.com anyway, every two weeks. And believe me, the, we're so far ahead of everybody else on some of these subjects, it, it's like we're doing, you're getting a whole nother hour for free. You're getting really two hours for free if you're not premium, you just have to wait. But I do appreciate all the premium referrals over there. Redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored. Redvoicemedia.com slash Jason. So let's uh, talk about this patient-specific robotic heart that they're going to print. And I believe it's right here. The size and shape of the human heart can vary from one person to the next. And for people living with heart disease, these differences can be particularly pronounced. A team of MIT engineers are hoping to help doctors tailor treatments to a patient's specific heart form and function with a new, soft, custom robotic heart. 
the team has developed a robotic system to control soft 3D printed replicas of a patient's heart that can be actuated to mimic the patient's blood pumping ability. The procedure involves first converting medical images of a patient's heart into a three-dimensional computer model, which the researchers can then 3D print using a soft polymer-based ink. The result is a soft, flexible shell in the exact shape of the patient's own heart. And what you're seeing here is before you even get to the biomimetics aspect of it, when you're talking about actual living tissue, this is just a 3D layout and then print of a polymer. To mimic the heart's pumping action and the motion of the aortic valve in disease, the team has fabricated sleeves similar to blood pressure cuffs that wrap around a printed heart and aorta. They tailored each sleeve's pockets such that when wrapped around their respective forms and connected to a small air pumping system, the sleeves could be tuned separately to realistically contract and constrict the printed models. By using patient-specific data, the researchers are able to accurately recreate the same heart pumping pressures and flows that were previously measured in a specific patient. And again, th this to me is very much technology that is being used to empower people. I'm not against this at all. I think this is good. But once again, I, I think that we're well beyond this. This needs to be upscaled and really, they're looking to go beyond uh, just the, the polymers and into biomimetics, as we've shown you on this program. Doctors commonly treat heart diseases such as aortic stenosis by surgically implanting a synthetic valve designed to widen the aorta's natural valve in the patient's heart. This new system, developed at MIT, would allow doctors to first print a patient's heart and aorta, then implant a variety of valves into the printed model to see which design results in the best function and fit for that particular patient, informing specific surgical decisions and procedures. In the future, the researchers say these heart replicas could also be used by research labs and medical device industry as realistic platforms for testing therapies for various types of heart disease. So again, you know, I think that that is a technology that we have to keep our eye on, just like we need to keep an eye on. Rothblatt, who just sold 8,000 shares of United Therapeutics, one of the things that was actually up, and I believe um, this was just last week, I think on the 9th is when this went through. Uh, I'm always keeping an eye out on, on Rothblatt, okay? United Therapeutics named one of America's most responsible companies in December. Is that correct? Is is that like the uh, responsibility of uh, some of these banks? So there's like an old school fake video out there of what some people have said is something crashing on the moon. And then you see like this plume come off the side. It's totally fake. This apparently is the real deal and what it looks like. I'm going to show it again, guys. Just a little flash um, by the police. Boom of when an asteroid hits the moon. I don't know if it is or not. <laughs> I do think it's a little sketchy that um, this is an amateur astronomer and we never get to see anything legitimate from our space agencies in that respect. Uh, I do want to point out that there are two clips out there recently, supposedly of Artemis. Okay, and here, here we're going to go to it. 
Um, this is supposedly Artemis. I'm going to take that down because we don't need the music. And that's supposedly Earth from Artemis. And Artemis is, again, the one that's going to take us to the moon again. So that's supposedly some NASA footage of Earth from Artemis. Uh, I think they said that this is a time lapse. So, so these are actually photographs that are put into uh, a time lapse. I know people are going to jump all over this one, but we never covered it when it was around. I wanted to cover it now. I've also got a, another video that's supposedly Artemis um, from space and the Orion spa spacecraft showing Earth. So that's supposedly the sun that you're looking at right there. And that's all Artemis. Yep, a lot, and, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to be ultra skeptical of that one. And here is the other one. This one's about five or six minutes long. So I'm going to be chat a Latin here. Well, let's see. Let's get it right over. Let's keep skipping until we at least get there. We go. We're going to start to see it at the bottom right there. And that's supposedly Earth at the bottom. Uh, it's a little cropped and blocked off compared to where it would be otherwise here. Let's come over here. Oh, that's even worse. Jeez, that is just even worse. How about that one? That one's that one's actually not as bad. That's that's pretty good. So that's supposedly the Earth from Artemis. You have to make up your own decisions. I'm not saying one way or the other. But I do want to say that Martin Rothblatt has also extended uh, the submission deadline for the National Space Society. Okay, this, Again, Rothblatt is in on everything. Dr. Rothblatt has been a pioneer in satellite communications, founding the Sirius XM network in 1990, later became the chair uh, woman of the CEO of United Therapeutics Biotechnology, company devoted to uh, prolonging human life. And again, TerraSim and the all-important and all-encompassing, not only unzipped genes that we have here, 1997, <clears throat> but from transgender to transhuman, where you see a push for this idea, a grassroots movement, anything but. It's not a grassroots movement. Right? This is a globalist, transhumanist movement. It's what it is. Well, again, space lady. By the way, there, there it is. That's Earth at the bottom, according to Artemis. That's why you're seeing all this craziness. They want you to disassociate from your humanity, period. This is a real player. Again, top 10 person in healthcare for the past decade. Uh, whether you like it or not, it might be another couple of years before Rothblatt gets into the mainstream. You're going to start hearing about Rothblatt and Terrasim, okay? And the printing of organs. This is M MIT Technology Review. Remember, MIT also just brought you that heart. Academia is working with governments, a.k.a. DARPA. And by the way, DARPA and MIT, they're, they're peanut butter and jelly. That's an open relationship. Get it? Open relationship. So, so there's, there's some more earth right there from this. All right, guys, I want you to thumbs it up, subscribe and share on the way out. We're going to talk more about Rothblatt. And then I've got some pretty interesting videos on the CIA and media control, as well as rickshaw bill gates let's show you rickshaw bill gates we're not going to play the the audio we'll play the audio on the other side because i don't want to 
any kind of a strike. But there he is. He's in his electric rickshaw. They love you. They love you. And to show you how much they love you, when we go over to the other side, I've got a young global leaders uh, mantra that, that we're actually going to begin with. So it's going to be fake news, the CIA, global leaders, from transgender to transhuman, and so much more. Redvoicemedia.com slash Jason, redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored. Go get it. $1 for the first week, 10 bucks a month, $100 for the entire year, lock it in. So uh, we're gonna talk to the producer, we're gonna say goodbye one at a time, and then we're gonna kick off the Global Leaders video, where you have this person basically telling you, um, we're taking charge, and we're the best thing since breakfast, and we've got a climate crisis, but don't worry, we're gonna take action, and we've got sustainable, equitable solutions. Rockfin, we'll see you soon. Later on YouTube, goodbye Twitter, and rumble on rumble. All right, we will just wait one moment until I get the text message and we are good to go. So this is the young global leaders in the, in the accent. We have the accent, we are saving the world. We are facing, as we all know, unprecedented challenges in our world today. The pandemic exposed the fragility of our global systems, and we are grappling with economic, social, political, and environmental pressures on a scale we have never seen before. On climate change, we know that our planet is on fire, and we have to act now. We have to act now. We have to act now. The planet is on fire. All made up. Everything you just said is made up right there. OK, because of the World Economic Forum, Davos, the United Nations, the World Health Organization being set up as a mechanism for global control and consensus, you have helped implode societies and further tyrannies that you want to clamp down on even more. That's what's actually going on. The planet's not on fire. There is no climate crisis. This is what's known as full-on Janin nonsense. The cost of inaction far exceeds the cost of action. See, and, and this is how you know all these people are liars, because the actions that have been taken recently, like destroying the Nord Stream pipeline, all right, no one's talking about that over at Davos or the World Economic Forum, right? No, 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 no. Instead, it's Russia bad, Putin put bad. Not that the biggest economic disaster, according to them, of course, just occurred via pro-Ukrainian forces, aka U.S. military in intervention with Norway, apparently. But that, but, but again, we don't have. We're in the post-truth world. These people can just say whatever they like. But in the face of these challenges, this community has shown us the power of unity and determination in shaping brighter future for all. Brighter future for all. We need to create more silver linings. Through their collaboration and fresh thinking, they have demonstrated a deep understanding of the opportunities that today's pressing problems present. Let me just say this. Just think about what he just said there about silver linings.
Silver line. So every every day is just going to be cloudy, bro. That's what you're telling me. Cloudy days forever. That's what's really what. Cloudy. It's cloudy days forever. But we'll have some silver linings for you. No, no. What about blue skies and sunshine? Oh, oh, the evil sun. But you know we don't want to really associate the sun with the overall climate of the planet, even though it's the driving force, because that does you can't really control people. They are an engine for positive change, and we rely on their leadership to support us in driving public-private cooperation in the global public interest. So, public-private cooperation, fascism, okay, in the public interest, and th this harkens back to what I was talking about in the first hour, where it was U.S. interests, so not right or wrong, but instead interests of profit and control and resource management. Lovely. Yay. Woohoo. The World Economic Forum and our partners are committed to supporting young global leaders in their quest for a more equitable and inclusive world. Oh, we're going to get equitable and inclusive. See, the world wasn't equitable and inclusive enough. We're just, again, going to play imagination land and say and act like the world doesn't actually have, you know, embedded cultural and racial diversity. Of course it does. That's why it's that that's why it's the whole world. These people want to end the quote unquote have haves and have nots so they can become the have everythings with their little bureaucratic minions under them. By providing access to our activities, we hope to inspire them to transform their ideas into reality and build a better future across all boundaries. So that's the build back better in a new, in a new forum. And these young global leaders don't have an idea in their head that wasn't implanted via this globalist agenda. So once again, you're just implementing techno-fascistic ideal sets into action and, and and it has nothing to do with the quote-unquote leaders themselves other than they're signing off on it and pushing it. They're the PR spokeswoman. They haven't been automated out yet. They will be. In the past year, this community has shown us what is possible when we come together to champion change. They have unveiled plans to revolutionize health services in rural and refugee communities. Oh, yeah, great rural and refugee communities think about that the refugee communities how many times do we have to play that video of the blockchain people in digital slavery in the refugee camps that are built by these people and bragged about by these people galvanize private sector action on pollution and achieve more together than they could do alone this is a message for all of us Let's take a moment to recognize and celebrate the exceptional work of the Young Global Leaders Class of 2023. All right. I got this clip. It's from, uh, I think, 1980-something. Like and this gentleman essentially breaks down what the Central Intelligence Agency does. 
okay, and, and what it really is and how it's not really an intelligence agency at all in, in the respect that we've been told. This is 1980s. Uh, a good many of us do not have a clear picture of what the CIA does. I think many of us believe it is an intelligence gathering agency that it gets information that information becomes intelligence and then it passes it on to key areas in the government. Is that an accurate uh, impression? No, it isn't. Uh, it's my view and it's supportable by all the uh, evidence we can see in the church committee report and the Pike committee report and uh, other collateral information. The CIA is not an intelligence agency. It's a covert action agency. Covert action being uh, overthrowing or supporting foreign governments. Another part of covert action is disinformation. And the uh, American people, in my estimation, are the primary target audience of the agency's disinformation operation. I mean, again, we're going to go full on fake news with an estate piece from the 1980s, 1986, on top of this. But, but think about that. From the time that I was a, a, a little lad, a wee lad, in the 1980s and, and before that, I, I've just been immersed and submerged, just like the rest of us, in what? Open disinformation campaigns by the Central Intelligence Agency. And I view Vietnam, the entire Vietnam War, was brought to us, sold to us, by agency disinformation operations. At the, the, uh, when I say us, I mean the American people. Well, that had to be done, of course, through the press. Yes. How else would one reach the, the American public? Well, how does the CIA, uh, the CIA, how does the CIA develop its relationship with the press? Well, it happens on many levels in many different ways. It could be a, a uh, director of agency uh, contact with a publisher, or it could be uh, a lower-level agency employee with a lower-level person or uh, managing editor, say, or it could be hiring. Um, agent people, agency people, and placing them in the news uh, organization. Or it could be uh, giving information to a reporter and winning his goodwill. It, it could be just a, a friendship sort of basis. I mean, then this guy lays it out one at a time, very calmly, of the open infiltration of the media by the Central Intelligence Agency. It sort of covers the skein of relationships that you can have, you know, in any, any social situation. Um, this this uh, relationship demands participation on the part of the press, though, does it not? Oh, of course. Well, how does it participate? It can participate in many ways. It can uh, publish articles that the agency wants published. Knowingly publish it because the CIA, CIA wants it done or oh, unknowingly? Yes. Uh, well, both. Uh, unknowingly, most of the time, I would guess. And uh, sometimes the information is passed to a reporter as valid information, a good scoop, if you will, when it's just a planted uh, propaganda. So it, uh, the agency uses the, the press in, in, in numerous ways to, to achieve its, what I call, illusion-building uh, properties. When you were uh, with the CIA... I, I love that. Illusion-building properties. It's not just narrative management. It's a complete alterverse. In Vietnam, did you have any direct uh, connection with the press? No, I didn't. 
I do know of the case of the uh, the press in Saigon in uh, the early 50s, where they were meeting directly with Colonel Lansdale, five members of the most prestigious newspapers in the United States, were meeting with Colonel Lansdale, the, the uh, agency's man in Saigon. And uh, How often would they meet? Um, quite frequently. I don't know the exact frequency. But you will look at the press coverage for that era, and you'll find no mention of agency activities in the press. Yet the agency was totally responsible for the creation of the Diem regime. It, uh, it created the Diem regime. It uh, built an illusion about the Diem regime. And it used the press to sell the illusion to the United States, the illusion that lives, lives on today in the United States. You think that those five members of whom you speak had any idea that they were being used? You have to, the atmosphere of those those days were, of the press in the government were so in tune on the uh, the issues that I, I believe the it was it was uh, a very much a cooperative effort. Uh, gee, really, uh, we don't have any cooperative efforts like that in the media with Ukraine, do we? I would say at this point, it's it's much 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 more egregious where. At least you had individual, like when we get to the fifth estate piece, right? PBS for a long time, the fifth estate, um, fifth estate is Canada, by the way, uh, but PBS, CBC, even the BBC at times, they did some real journalism back in the day. I, I haven't seen mainstream real journalism uh, for some time. More than a, a using effort. The press viewed the situation uh, as the government did, and and both cooperated in, in putting across the stories. The CIA was a, were good folks to, with the, which one could be associated? Was that what you're saying at that time? At or that did, time, yes, yes. Uh -huh. Of course, um, the agency developed what they called uh, Wisner's Wurlitzer. That was uh, what they called an organ that he could play any, any tune he wanted anywhere in the world at any time. Supposedly, they had one, they owned one, a newspaper in any country of the world and whatever articles they want run whatever themes that they wanted to propagate all they had to do was just press the right buttons and that that uh, those articles and, and uh, themes would would come up in those countries I, I think we'd like to know who Wisner was Wisner um, was a former uh, deputy uh, uh, chief of the operations branch of the CIA I see. Mm -hmm. And he created the world. He, he created the world. Mm -hmm. And we find now um, this came under the corporate action staff of the agency. And from uh, recent information, uh, William Casey is concentrating all his efforts in rebuilding the agency in developing the corporate action staff. So a lot more of the audience will be familiar with William Casey. Okay. And th there's a quote attributed to Casey. Not sure if it's true or not. But it basically says that uh, once the uh, everything the United States people believe is a lie, we'll have completed our mission. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I do want to point out fake news ain't new. That's the staff that, that uh, uh, develops in international organizations, international press organizations, international organizations of all types that uh, penetrates press, religious, academic, uh, uh, institutions uh, here, here, home and abroad. The oh, home and abroad. 
I, I thought you weren't supposed to be working here at home. Okay, here we go. This is um, the 1986 Fifth Estate piece. <laughs> We all know that you can't believe everything you read, but at the same time, most journalists do try their level best to get the facts straight. It requires checking, and wherever possible, a first-hand account of what's happening. But an eyewitness account is not always possible, particularly in nasty wars on the other side of the world, and so reporters sometimes have to rely on other people's accounts. The story then becomes as good as its source, and sources sometimes lie. Really? The U.S. Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, deals in information and misinformation. Tonight we see how the CIA has been able to plant news reports that aren't just inaccurate, but totally fabricated. And, and think about that. Now we have to rely on the CIA and the FBI and the NSA as the authoritative sources on what's real. That We have to accept our abusive spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend that's lied to us, beat us, poisoned us, harmed us, killed our loved ones. We have to trust them that what's posted on the internet is true. Otherwise, it needs to be taken down for disinformation. Weird. This is Angola a former Portuguese colony in Southwest Africa that's been at war since the mid-70s. Its left-wing government, supported by Cuban soldiers, fights a continual battle against guerrillas backed by South Africa. Ten years ago, the Soviets helped send guns and troops here, and the United States responded with support for the guerrillas. According to newspapers at the time, that's how the Angolan War started. But did it? John Stockwell, wearing the cross, worked for the CIA for 12 years. As a colonel, his last assignment was to run the U.S. campaign in Angola. And Stockwell is one of the, the guys that went around and said, yeah, we're pretty damn corrupt. The basic theme was to make it look like a, a Russian-Cuban aggression in Angola. And so any kind of story that you could write and get into the media anywhere that, that pushed that line, you did. Uh, one third of my staff in this task force was covert action, was propagandist, whose professional career jobs was making up stories and finding ways to get them into the press. In 1975, the resource-rich African country was being fought over by three factions. Agostino Neto led the left-wing MPLA, which eventually became the government. Jonas Savimbi, an anti-Marxist, led UNITA, which was openly supported by South Africa. And another anti-communist force was led by Holden Roberto, who had been paid by the CIA for 14 years and was now to receive major U.S. support. The CIA had just closed down three long-term paramilitary operations in Southeast Asia. Uh, Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. They'd had over a thousand paramilitary case officers come flocking back to Washington. They didn't have desks for everybody, much less jobs, and morale was rock bottom low. They wanted a covert action. They wanted a paramilitary encounter. Think about that. Think about that. Remember, it used to be the Department of War. Then it's the Department of Defense. 
It's all semantics and changed. Post these other conflicts that, in my opinion, and many others, we had no business being in, Vietnam in particular, we don't have deaths for the, what are we going to do? Well, the military industrial complex is pretty profitable. And we want our influence operations to be more than just influence operations. What? We want our interests to take hold of resources. And we want to battle our enemies like Russia. Again, making stuff up about Russia. Gee, oh, weird. Back in the day, via CIA style. The rationale was that uh, uh, the Soviet Union was trying to take advantage of the United States' weakness right after the, the Vietnam War, that Angola was getting its independence and they were trying to snap it up, and that Henry Kissinger decided that we could not be weak and we wouldn't let them do it. Our own files disproved that. We moved into Angola first and Russians were responding to us. But before the CIA could move, the U.S. National Security Council had to be sold, and Stockwell helped with the briefings. The first briefings on Angola literally went, gentlemen, this is a map of Africa. Here is Angola. And then they went on with a chart to explain there are three liberation movements in Angola. One of them is headed by Holden Roberto. He's the good guy. We've worked with him for years, and they use literally good guy. Then the, the MPLA is headed by this drunken, psychotic Marxist poet, Augustino Neto. He's the bad guy. And they used exactly the good, so to make sure that people understood. <laughs> Once the National Security Council had given its blessing, Stockwell and the CIA cranked up their propaganda machine. And newspapers around the world became unwitting accomplices in the campaign. From the CIA... Oopsie! Oh, we became unwitting accomplices. And again... Going back to the clip before that, you actually have other people that are placed there to not just be unwitting accomplices, but outright accomplices. And more and more, first of all, think about it this way. Back in the day, you did not have 24-hour news networks. So newspapers were the big deal. And then just getting the headline and the story. There wasn't much editorializing. There weren't talking heads. Now you have more talking heads then you do have mainstream uh, newspapers that are being paid attention to, period. So now the goal is to get something out in the realm of social media, whether it be a story or a video, and have these pundits, okay, push that story. His headquarters, Stockwell sent his propagandists to Britain, Portugal, Zambia, and Zaire. Far from the battlefield in Angola, they wrote news releases for the two Western-backed factions, and these were fed into the ticker tapes of the Western media. Stockwell's CIA man also wined and dined Western journalists and gave them personal briefings. His man in Zambia was particularly enthusiastic. He ran a story that the city of Malangi had been captured by the UNITA forces, and in doing so, it captured 20 Russian advisors and uh, they thought this would show that Russians were running the thing in Angola. There weren't Russian advisors. It wasn't a factor, and we knew that. But the story... So wait a minute. You, you, you were blaming things on Russians, and the Russians weren't there? They weren't Russian advisors? Sounds a lot like the GRU 
and the 2016 Democratic emails. Hmm. 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 But you know what? John Brennan, great guy. Mike Pompeo, great guy. All right. Woolsey, great guy. George Bush Sr., great guy. Some of the best have run the CIA. Some of the best. And some of the best have been in the CIA. A Bill Barr? Hmm. Did well. The Toronto Star, like many newspapers, picked it up from Reuters News Agency. It was also carried in the Montreal Gazette and in the Vancouver Sun. I, I remember reporting that very clearly. Fred Berglund was the Reuters reporter who filed the story from Zambia. But, um, years later, I discovered that um, a little CIA um, misinformation expert had... A little CIA birdie had told me. Oh, a little misinformation snuck in my knickers. Snuck in my stories. Oh, boy. That in the um, U.S. Embassy in Lusaka and had composed that communique, and it bore absolutely no relationship at all to truth. You've got to remember, at that stage, during a war, um, you're working under incredible pressure. I, I worked for four months without a day off for 16 hours a day, and all that was wanted was a flu of information. I mean, Listen. Even though this guy's kind of trying to pass the buck a bit, at least he's willing to go on camera and admit he was wrong. How many media personalities have retracted any kind of story of significance and said, hey, I was duped. I was wrong. That's why we focused on on the Tucker nuts yesterday, right? On the Tuckins, because I want to believe he's being genuine. I want to believe that he knows what's up and he's trying to now dispense the truth further in the public arena, which is what we need. Lies don't make friends, all right? And they certainly don't bring people together under a system that's going to benefit the vast majority of us and hold those who are lying accountable. Just point that out. And I, I'd done the same in the Middle East war. I, I was based in Damascus. And in the first week of the war in Damascus, I, I wiped out the Israeli Air Force three times over with official statements. Reuters, with its headquarters here on London's Fleet Street, is one of the world's largest news agencies. Its international bureaus provide many newspapers with their only source of news from far parts of the globe. Well, I mean, with hindsight, um, some of the official statements from the side I was reporting, and I stress from the side I was reporting, but also from the side that People in um, in Luanda with the MPLA report. Clearly, most of those those statements were completely false. Well, just completely false. Kind of like weapons of mass destruction, right? Kind of like Assad gassed his own people. Just completely false. The CIA man in Zambia soon came up with an even better story. He had some Cuban soldiers uh, raping some young Angolan girls. Uh, then there was a battle, and he had uh, that Cuban unit cut off and captured. And then he had the Cuban women, the victims, identifying their rapists. And then there was a trial, and they were convicted. And then he had them executed by a firing squad of the women who had supposedly been violated with photographs of, of, of young African women with uh, weapons shooting down these Cubans. Uh, there had never been a rape. There had never been the military action. The Cubans had never been captured. Uh, it was all fiction. 
all fiction. Now, that brings you to ask questions about the headings, about other terroristic acts and videos and press releases. You know, we talked about uh, ISIS, for instance, and the evidence that it was U.S. intelligence that created them. Think about John McCain. Think about that beheading video we've played here before that was supposedly on a staffer's phone. These are the type of things the Central Intelligence Agency has been proven to do, period. Something to keep in mind. Fiction, maybe, but it showed up on the front page of papers like the Toronto Star. The Toronto Globe and Mail also ran the story, and its headline attributed it to Angolan guerrillas. Many other Canadian newspapers in cities like Winnipeg, Montreal, and Halifax picked up the story. Basically, and to put it very crudely, you can um, publish any old crap you like, and it will get um, get a um, newspaper room. Ah, just any old crap. But despite the best efforts of the CIA, the armies it supported didn't stand much of a chance once Cuban soldiers showed up. The force led by the man who'd been on the CIA payroll, Holden Roberto, was wiped out. And UNITA and the South Africans made a hasty retreat. Back in Washington, Congress didn't want another Vietnam and voted against spending any more money in Angola. Thank goodness, but we certainly don't have that mindset within our Congress and Senate, at least not outwardly right now, and especially when we're talking about Ukraine. More recently, the CIA has found work for its skilled writers in Central America, particularly in the campaign against the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. First, the arms flow story. According to President Reagan, Nicaragua supplied guns to left-wing guerrillas in neighboring El Salvador. Nope. Sorry, that's not what happened. The Israelis got them from Czechoslovakia and I believe Ukraine, actually, and then shipped them down to them. That's what actually happened on behalf of the United States. The Sandinista dictatorship of Nicaragua, with full Cuban-Soviet bloc support, not only persecutes its people, the church, and denies a free press, but arms and provides bases for communist terrorists attacking neighboring states. David McMichael was the CIA's senior analyst on Nicaragua. He was asked to write a report on the arms flow, but when he looked at the evidence, it didn't support Reagan's claims. No, it started unraveling the whole entire Iran-Contra network, where we got to really peek into what the deep state truly is and manifested into. The, the argument that we're dealing with here is, do these arms come through or from Nicaragua with the complicity of the Nicaraguan government? And the evidence does not sustain that. In 1981, the CIA asked McMichael for a report on the Nicaraguan press, opposition, and church. And my, my conclusion was that, uh, you know, there was a significant space for these, uh, for these groups to operate, uh, but that they were in no, in no danger of suppression or disappearance. So, so you see that? Again, everything that Reagan just said right there, total lie. And that, that's why I don't aggrandize the Reagan days. He's the original Make America Great Again guy. He's an actor. And no matter what good he wanted to do in the beginning, he got shot. He got shot. And things changed shortly after. 
El Pupito. Compared to any other Central American country, Nicaragua has by far the liveliest uh, opposition press and media. Over two-thirds, for example, of the 40-odd radio stations in the country are, are still privately owned and generally speak their mind. When McMichael spoke his mind, the CIA didn't like it. He was fired. You're out of there. But after four years of fighting, now the Nicaraguan government has suspended many freedoms. In the world's newsrooms, the CIA efforts at disinformation continue to turn up. In 1982, reporters were shown photographs of what the CIA said were Soviet bases in Nicaragua, identifiable by their Soviet-styled obstacle courses, training areas, and guns. Soviet-style obstacle courses. My goodness. I used to laugh and say, look at that Soviet-style baseball diamond over there. You know, <laughs> um, you know this, is, this is almost foolish, really, you know, to talk about this. First of all, they're not Soviet military bases. That's, that's the whole point. The second is that a barracks is a barracks. You know, an obstacle course is an obstacle course. Soviet freighter Bakuriani pulled into the Nicaraguan port of Corinto today, carrying a mystery cargo which could lead to a showdown between the Sandinista... Just over a year ago, on the day President Reagan was re-elected, his administration came up with another Nicaragua story. This one had to do with Soviet MiG fighters, which Washington said had been shipped to Nicaragua in some mysterious crates detected by satellite surveillance. We got them! We got them! <laughs> The result was more headlines. But as the story developed, doubts began to emerge. Oh, 80s news, man. 80s intros. So cheesy. So ridiculous. Ronald Reagan had a warning today for Nicaragua and for the Soviet Union. Reagan said the U.S. still cannot confirm reports that Nicaragua has received a shipment of MiG-21 jets. But he said if the reports turn out to be true, the U.S. would take a very dim view. The Nicaraguan government has denied that crates taken off a Soviet freighter today contain any warplanes. And it's accused Reagan of trying to whip up an invasion fever. By week's end, U.S. officials were saying there weren't any MiGs after all. It's the usual thing. The charge makes the headlines. The retraction makes the inside pages. Eight or ten days later, it's revealed, well, MiGs weren't on the way, but that's no longer a headline. So, so yeah, see, they've been doing the same thing forever. Now you don't get as many retractions, but just like you said, the headline's what matters. What people are buzzing and talking about is what matters. That's what ma we got the story in. That's what matters. So what one is left with is the overall impression from the screaming headlines of the week earlier that Nicaragua continues to represent this enormous danger to the security of the United States. This nation of three million impoverished souls, half of whom are under the age of 15, you know. It's just like we're talking about the Middle East earlier and enemy combatants, for instance, any male over 16 years of age. Just like Gates is going back and forth on what ISIS or Al Nusra is, who are our frenemies. All right, you get it? Well, I would, I, I would say people are very silly if they believe everything that newspapers tell them. And I think pro probably anybody bu who buys a newspaper needs a course on how to read newspapers. And think about how that echoes to what we've seen via uh, people at the World Economic Forum and, and talking about your digital rights and how you're being tracked, traced database there, or how you're supposed to read social media, or what sources... 
Now, now it's literally the intelligence agencies through their fascistic companies that are going to rate which sources are truthful or not. It's gone extreme, but it didn't just start out of nowhere. It's evolved. So there it is right there. Fifth Estate, uh, big time watch along. How about Bill Gates, everybody? One more time. Yes, because Bill Gates is going to be driving a rickshaw. <laughs> Full cartoon level. Full cartoon level. Bill Gates, billionaire, eugenicist. But it's okay because Martin Rothblatt has told us that eugenics is good. And the kind of eugenics that's good is transgenics. Oh, tran transgenics. How, how transgenics works, should we fear transgenics? Let's read some of that. After all, this is the same person that's dreaming of a factory of unlimited printed organs. Factories of organs and a new vanguard of transgender entrepreneurship via Rothblatt. We might have to read this whole puff piece right here. Like We got a lot to read. I mean... <laughs> Uh, just craziness, craziness. But let's go. Uh, transgenics. And by the way, that's from Transgenic Creationism, My Perfect Monster. And yes, it's. I'm not kidding you. It begins that uh, section on page 69. I know, I know. We're all very mature here. But I, I should just put it right there for everybody to see it. I didn't make that up. You know, My Perfect Monster, Transgenic Creationism. Hmm? I have asked the Miltronic questions Shelley poses in an epigraph of Frankenstein. That's Mary Shelley and obviously the novel Frankenstein. Did I request thee, maker, from my clad to mold me? Did I solicit thee from darkness to promote me? With one voice, her monster, and I answer no, without de debasing ourselves. For we have done the hard work of constituting ourselves on our terms against the natural order. Though we forego the privilege of naturalness, we are not deterred, for we ally ourselves instead with the chaos and blackness from which nature, nature itself spills forth. That is Dr. Susan Stryker, queer theory uh, academian. You can't, you can't make this up. My words to Victor Frankenstein above the village of Shemot. That's a 1994 book. We have seen that social eugenics must be stopped lest it unleash the horrors of demographic uh, death upon us all. We have also seen that social eugenics is simply the antithesis of personal eugenics. Oh, it is the imposition by society of rules that limit personal eugenic choices. One final question that remains, your personal transgenic, I mean eugenic choice. Are there no limits to the practice of personal eugenics? Are we free to produce any kind of children we want? Today, by law, no one can tell you about your baby because of its genes. While the barking uh, dogs of negative social eugenics are once again on the horizon, they are not yet in our midst 
and they may yet be kept at bay. Parents who have had uh, who have been advised that they have a hundred percent chance of producing a child who will be congenitally ill in some cases, horribly so, uh, cannot be prevented from conceiving that child. Parents could have several reasons for doing so. They may not believe the medical specialists. After all, they are medically diagnosed in, uh, invalids who learn to walk, untreatable cancer patients who somehow remit, and infertile women who miraculously conceive. The parents may believe the medical specialists, but still have a greater faith in a deity. God may want the child to live, to teach us something, or may want the child to enter heaven. There is an East African saying, one must live in order to die. While the angry negative side of eugenics does not yet obscure our reproductive choices, there are concerns of the positive side. Proposals have been made for a moratorium on germline therapies. Yeah, that, that's basically a moratorium on what? Bioweapons research. Okay. This means that experts are asking for a freeze on altering the half blueprints contained within egg and sperm cells, gene lines. For example, it may be possible through human genome project research uh, to microsurgically alter characteristics of an egg cell's DNA to change the likely color, size, health condition, or other characteristics of a person before birth. So they're talking about the altering of genes. Well, I can assure you that that has continued through mRNA and other types of technology. Let's 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 read the piece. This is from November, okay? A new vanguard, transgender entrepreneurship. And remember, this is all really about transhumanism. In the late 1980s, Martin Rothblatt founded SiriusXM and brought satellite radio to cars when uh, Rothblatt's daughter was diagnosed with pulmonary aerial hypertension. Uh, Rothblatt pivoted and delved into the study of biology. Today, Rothblatt's daughter lives on. United Therapeutics, the company Rothblatt founded to cure it, is worth millions. Mm -hmm. And Rothblatt has gone on to publish a book, Found a Religion, not just a book, a series of books, virtually human being amongst them, unzip genes and from transgender to transhuman. Found a religion, didn't found, founded a religion, that's Tara Sim, and traveled the world uh, with the wifey who was replicated in Terrasim. Rothblatt is perhaps one of the most well-known examples of transgender persons succeeding in fields unrelated to their transgender identity, a position uh, that has been used to advocate for transgender rights, acknowledge enormous good fortune and, and the challenges of being transgender. Like Rothblatt, other transgender entrepreneurs have made strides and broken new ground in areas unrelated to the specifics of a transgender experience. From Sloan Ortel, who founded Invest Vegan, an investment management firm that follows vegan principles, to Bunny McKenzie Mack, who founded MMG Earth, a professional service uh, change management firm. Weird. I don't know any of this stuff. And then we have Al Sandemorva, founder of Atomic Gold, a fine jewelry design company. Companies founded and led by transgender entrepreneurs are thriving. Rothblatt's on another level. That, that any of that nonsense. I just want to put that out there, okay? On another level, but but definitely part of the whole deal. All right, guys. I have to gear up for my weekly spot on America Media Periscope. I'm hot, I'm sweaty, I'm tuckered. I hope that you enjoyed the premium portion of the broadcast where we went further and further, 
down the fake news rabbit hole. I want to remind everybody I am a documentary filmmaker. All of my films are free. Loose Change Final Cut, Fabled Enemies, Invisible Empire, A New World Order to Find, and Shade the Motion Picture. I encourage you to check them out. Share them. Share the links to the videos. Support the broadcast any way you can. Get at us on Getter, Twitter, Telegram, whatever. I want to thank you for being a premium subscriber, or if you're just listening over on uh, Podbean, I'm glad that you are, and I hope that you share the RSS feed so more people come to the broadcast. I love you guys. It's not about left or right. It is always about right and wrong. May your money be safe and your life be prosperous. I'll see you on the flip side.